0: The reason for their amazing story is the fact that they were the first two dogs to come from orbit alive. So they they landed, they survived, and then they have a story beyond their space flight. You're listening to the Science Focus podcast from the BBC Focus magazine team. We're the UK's best-selling science and technology monthly, available in print and in several digital formats throughout the world. Find out more at sciencefocus.com or look out for us in your app store.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Science Focus podcast. I'm Dan Bennett, editor of BBC Focus magazine. Belka and Strelka were two strays plucked from the streets of Russia who went on to become space dogs. They were the first creatures to visit space and, crucially, were the first to return back to Earth alive. When they got back home, the two dogs became celebrities and their work paved the way for future space missions. So in this episode, we talked to Vix Southgate, an author who also manages World Space Week here in the UK. She was so inspired by the story of Belka and Strelka that she's written a book for children, Dogs in Space. And with it, she hopes to inspire youngsters about these plucky canines. She spoke to our production editor, Alice Lipscomb-Southwell, and told us all about canine spacesuits, doggy training regimes, and what happened to Belka and Strelka after their mission. Also, make sure you stay tuned to the end of this episode for details of how to win one of five £50 shopping vouchers.
2: First of all, if you'd like to tell us all about Belka and Strelka. Okay, so Belka and Strelka were two
0: dogs from, we assume, the streets of Moscow. This is is the majority of the uh, uh, documented um, information that Russia puts out there. Um, So we can't be entirely sure exactly where these two specific dogs came from, but we do assume it is from the streets of Moscow. So that's where my story was based. Um, So a lot of the dogs who came into the uh, Russian space um, program were from, they were strays from the streets of Moscow. So they they were brought in, um, they were handpicked from the streets, and then they were tested. So Belka and Strelka, um, Belka has would, had been on several other flights before she went into onto the orbital flight. Um, and, and Strelka came in, and, and the orbital fright, flight was her first flight.
2: And this was a flight where um they, it was the first one to go into orbit around the Earth, is that right?
0: It's not the first one to orbit the Earth. Uh, the first one was Leica, who went up in 1957, just after uh, Sputnik, the month after Sputnik was launched. Um so Belka and Strelka, the reason for their amazing story is the fact that they were the first two dogs to come from orbit alive. So they, they landed, they survived, and then they have a story beyond their space flight. Um, so that's that's the amazing story of Belka and Strelka.
2: Is that what inspired you to write about them?
0: I was actually inspired to write about them because I have such a fascination in uh, the Russian space race. Um, I researched Yuri Gagarin's flight, the first spaceman. Um, I I researched him back in 2009, 2010 and wrote a biography uh, for children about him. And so since then, I've just been absolutely fascinated on the Russian space race because everybody knows about the American side of it. But very few people are really up to date with what happened on the Russian side.
2: Uh, so what was the purpose of Belka and Strelka's mission and how long were they up there for? Um, right. So the purpose of all
0: the dog missions was to find out how spaceflight affects a living creature. So the the human spaceflights would not have actually gone up had it not been for the successful flights of the dogs in space. So so Belka and Strelka, they were the 35th mission. Into space, but only the second mission to orbit the Earth. So, lots of different dog missions were sent up to certain heights: so, two hundred twelve kilometers, um, four hundred fifty-one kilometers, and and those flights were to test the landing gear. They were to test how the dogs react to launch. You know how they react to landing. Um, but Belka and Strelka were the first ones to orbit the Earth and come back alive. They were up there for just under one day. So they launched on 19th of August um, 1960 at about um, 8.45 in the morning. And they landed on the 20th of August 1960 at about six o'clock in the morning. So they did about 17 orbits, well, 16 full orbits, 17 orbits, the 17th orbit was the one where they came back down to Earth so that the, the um, spaceship was told to come back down and start its re-entry on the 17th orbit. So they didn't do a full orbit on the 17th one. Um, but yes, yeah, so they were in space for about 22 hours.
2: So how much training did they undergo beforehand? Did they have to go through an extensive training regime like astronauts would have to as well?
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, they, they were the forerunners for astronaut training. So Because they're a living creature, you have to test their psychological um, emotions, their their mental state, you know, their their medical state as well. So they would do the centrifuge test just to see how their body would cope with um, the G-force. The the centrifuge and all the other testings as well would would, um, test their behavior uh, they they would be put into kennels on their own to see how they dealt with solitude and basically if they didn't like any of this they were taken off the program because what the russians were very keen on was they didn't want stressed animals you know so if the, if the animals showed any sign of stress they'd be taken off the program and some some other animal would be put in there you know um because they didn't want a stressed animal to go up into space because any data they got from a stressed animal would not be good enough data for, for medical tests or anything like that for for human spaceflight. So all the animals that went up to up into space, they were all very very happy to do that job. You know that they they were able to co- cope with the pressure. They were able to cope with the G force. They were able to cope with the psychological uh, sci- psychological way of um, their solitude in space. You know, so they were very happy dogs. And they were trained to do what they what they did.
2: So when they were actually on the spaceship with could they did they wear little spacesuits? Could they move around on the spaceship or were they sort of strapped in and um, kept very stable when they were up there?
0: Um, right. Well, again, from the documented uh, information, they had these spacesuits as to whether or not the dogs were actually strapped into their seat or anything like that. it's It's not overly clear from the information that you can find. But. They are in a, a small capsule of their own. They've got their spacesuit on. Um, they can move around. They've got wriggle room um, and they can do their business as, uh, as, the, as they would need to in space. Um, so, yeah, so, so they did have their own little spacesuits on. So they had to learn how to wear clothes as well. So that's one of, that was one of the tests that they had to do was to put clothes on. And they all had their own little flight suits and everything. It's all very adorable. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Um, but what were the effects of the space flight on the dogs? I mean, presumably, once they come back to Earth, they went and they underwent a barrage of tests, like astronauts do as well. Um, did they find anything when they studied them?
0: Um- Nothing that actually spoke out that it was dangerous to go on space flights or anything like that i mean the the main things were i mean the effects in space of of the g force they their heart rates would have changed and fluctuated and things um, they did get motion sick in space i mean Belka herself um, was sick during during the space flight um, you know so they would have all the normal reactions that you would expect from. Any space flights. So all the astronauts that they have now, they would have felt the pressure. They would have felt the differences. They would have felt the weightlessness. But as to whether or not it affected them physiology, their physiology, it didn't. Um, Strelka went on. She had pups. She had six pups with a with a dog named um, Pushuk. and her one of her pups was called Pushinka, and she went to um, live with the Kennedys over in America. President Kennedy and his daughter Caroline, and they they that that pup has had pups as well and we can follow their genealogy through america because they were given to schools and and people families that needed them so so you know so it didn't affect any reproduction you know there's no harmful effect on the dogs it was just a case of these dogs were sent into space so that we could see how it affected a, a living creature
2: I wonder how that helped um, sort of Russian and US relations at the time, because obviously there was this big space race going on. And then, if um, the offspring of one of the Russian space dogs went off to live with the Kennedys, then oh, yeah,
0: it <laughs> is it is a very political time, as as you can imagine. Um, so yes, yeah, so the the giving of gifts and the sending of the the cosmonauts when when they went up to space, the Russian astronauts, you know. Those those people going on tours of different countries. It was so very heavily politically um, based. So yeah, so giving giving one of the the Russian space dogs pups to the American president was definitely a political act. It's a gift, you know.
2: When the dogs were in space, I mean, you said that one of them suffered from motion sickness, but I mean, were they wearing special dog space nappies as well, or were they just like winging all over the place when they were <laughs> <up there? laughs>
0: Uh, Right, no. Um, As I say, they're all in spacesuits. Um, So any functions that they had up there would be absorbed by aspects of the spacesuit. Um, They would basically choose, for the orbital flights, they would only choose um, female dogs. Because, of course, a female dog doesn't have to cock her leg to go to the toilet. So, you know, so the restrictions within the capsules... Meant that they couldn't send the the male dogs on on the orbital flights because of the way that that they were actually structured into their seats um but so yeah so so it was always female dogs, but yeah it it would all all capture as to the other version of of um, bodily functions, I honestly don't know there is no recorded information as to how they um number two, shall we say
2: a <laughs> <laughs> poor person has to clean it all up when they get back again so. yeah um. So on that note, then were they um, were they given any water or anything to eat on the flight? And you know, if they were given food, then what were they eating up there?
0: That's an interesting question. Um, I've not actually read any information about how they were given water, but they must have been because it's essential to dogs. They need it; otherwise, they'll dehydrate, as as with humans. Um, so I can only assume that either they they were able to or or they were taught to learn how to drink through a straw or some, or something to be able to get the liquid or maybe the food was just so heavily packed with nutrients and with with water in those because they were they were taught how to um eat from a conveyor belt system so at set times the conveyor belt would pop open its lid and the dogs would eat from it. So during their testing, again, they had to get used to the sound of this thing popping open and it didn't scare them, you know, when it popped open. And they knew they were going to get food once it popped open. You know, so they, they thought about all of this. It didn't starve the dogs. It didn't um, harm the dogs in any way. Everything was geared around trying to keep the dogs happy and healthy and in as good a state as possible. So, that, again, they can get the medical data that they need from the from the flight.
2: So why do they pick dogs? I mean, why not guinea pigs or cats or anything like that?
0: Right. Well, I mean, obviously, we've all heard about the, the chimps that were sent up in from America. There were monkeys that were sent up, um, mainly because, again, you know, monkeys, their mannerisms, the way that they function is very human like. Um, guinea pigs, cats, there has been a cat go up there. Um, as to guinea pigs, I'm not sure. I think they've probably been on as extras on the flights, um, just as with Belka and Strelka. There were mice and rabbits and, and all sorts on their flight. Um, but the reason that the Russians chose dogs is because of their trainability. So because they they are an amenable animal, you know, you can train them. You can you know how they're going to react to certain things. Monkeys. You're not quite sure, you know, people. You're not quite sure, but at least you can communicate with people. Um, But with with the dogs, they're trainable. They want to please you. They want to do what you want them to do, and so that's why the Russians chose dogs.
2: Yeah, I suppose cats are just going to say, no, not going to do that, aren't they? Well, it, it 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 is
0: that sort of thing. You know, if you get a if you train a dog to sit for a long time, it will sit for a long time. If you try and train a cat, it won't. So you have to strap that cat down. Now, to me, that sounds absolutely awful, you know, and that's very stressful, I would have thought, for a creature that doesn't want to be held in one position for a long period of time. So dogs, again, it's less cruel in my view. Um, Some people might say that there are different aspects to that. Um, But if a dog is happy and healthy and is doing what it wants to do, I I I think that there is an an aspect there that says yes, we can utilise these animals to um, to further humans in space.
2: So um so Belka and Strelka, you say they're quite famous. Cause they were the first dogs to go into an orbital flight and then come back alive as well. So when future dogs went up, did they all tend to come back alive, or was it or was it Belka and Strelka? But then there was a bit of um, sort of patchy results after that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, well, in the um, in the Russian side of the missions, um, they had over 50 dogs in their uh, training session. And add to that, um, before Belkron Strelka went up, four of those missions failed, which meant two dogs per spacecraft. So eight were lost before Belkron Strelka went up. Um, and then afterwards, only one mission failed completely where t- the two dogs were killed. Other missions that went up that weren't orbital, um, there were nine dogs that died, but they all died on landing. So what the Russians used to do is, they would they would test the landing um, aspects of the the capsule. So some would actually have their capsule, the, the the individual capsules that the dogs were inside, would have them one ejected and the other one land in the capsule. And so depending on which which um, aspect was the better of that particular flight. One of the dogs might have died on that flight and the other one survived. Sometimes both of them died because the parachute failed on landing, you know. So there were aspects, but out of 50 missions, uh, sorry, 50 dogs, there were only about uh, 18 that actually died.
2: I mean, how many animals altogether do you reckon have sort of died in our drive to visit space? Because, um, I mean, it's wonderful to hear the success stories, but you just think it's not just um, the dogs. You know, like you said, there's been rabbits and things like this. So, I mean, it must number in the hundreds, mustn't it?
0: I haven't looked into that side of um, the space flight. Um, I am assuming that before we had an understanding that that animals ha- were sentient beings and had feelings and all of that sort of stuff. And we had all the animal rights side of things come in. Um, I'm sure there were quite a few failed flights for science there. But since we, once everybody started realizing that actually we needed to look after animals, we needed to care for them, you know, we, we need to do what we do best as humans and look after everything else, Um the amount of flights that actually would have been done would have resulted in fewer casualties because they would only go up if they thought that they were going to come back down safely.
2: So after their space mission, they came back. Um, you said Belka and Strelka. One of them went on to have puppies. Do we know what the other one went on to do? Did they? Did she do more? Um, did she do more space flights, or did she just have a nice life of retirement after that?
0: <laughs> they both had a very nice life of retirement after that um neither of them were sent back up into space after that because um they became overnight celebrities so they were more um useful for the russians for the uh, political side of things alive than they would have been dead um <laughs> you know? so so they were taken to schools they did a lot of outreach work they did press conferences i mean you can't really imagine it in today's world having two dogs going to do a press conference but they were they were taken out they were shown they there was a big fuss made of them and everybody loved and wanted to see them and then they they spent the rest of their natural lives they died of old age and they spent it with the scientists and the people I think they lived in the space medical center at, science, at the research center that they grew up in and, and did all their training in um, but it's not like science centre it's not somewhere where they were constantly being monitored or anything like that they were living as pets by that time.
2: It must be quite hard in a way if you think for a lot of the scientists there because they would have gone through all the time sort of training these dogs and they must have formed attachments to them and then I mean I think it was lovely if they come back and they survived but it must have been quite heartbreaking um, the missions that didn't work.
0: Each of the dogs or each of the scientists were given a selection of dogs that they were responsible for and and it and so you know yes you do because you've got to keep them healthy you've got to keep them happy you take them for walks you you know you do all the normal things that a dog owner does um but at the end of the day these are working dogs so i, I suppose the attachment is as much as of an attachment that uh, a farmer has to his sheep dogs loves them and everything but they're, they're kept in kennels outside you know they're not a house dog um but, yeah, the the dogs that weren't happy, the dogs that failed the testing, they were the ones that went home with the scientists and became family pets.
2: Oh, so it wasn't all bad then. <laughs> so. Oh, no, absolutely not, no. <laughs> so if we, um, in time, you know, there's a lot of talk at the moment about potentially setting up a base on the Moon or on Mars. Um, do you think we could take our pets with us? I, I can't see any reason
0: why not. Um, I suppose... Yeah, I mean, that would be fantastic, wouldn't it, to, to take your, your dog for a holiday on the moon or something. It would just be marvellous. But, yeah, um, the only thing I think there is that, as with space flight, you are going to have to test how these dogs and animals and pets and whatever else you take to the moon or to Mars with you are going to survive there, how they're going to react to it. So there will have to be test subjects that go, if that is something that we do eventually do. Because I suppose if, if since all, expo- all space exploration is about moving off this planet because it's not going to last forever, you know, we need to move further into the universe. We need to move away from the sun that is heating up and growing. And, you know, so if that is our ultimate goal is to create a, a, the ability to move to another planet, we are going to have to move all forms of life. So not, ju- not just the animals, but the plants, you know, everything is going to have to go. Gosh. It's interesting. Like, yeah, that's a really, really
2: good thought. I've not thought about that before now. I see. Imagine taking your dog for a walk in, like, lower gravity as well, throwing a ball for them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I
0: don't, yeah, I don't think you could throw um, throw a ball for your dog with it, one of those ball throwers in, on the moon. <laughs> Otherwise, you'd probably lose the, the dog around the other side of the planet, wouldn't you, at uh,
1: the moon? That was Vix Southgate there talking to Alice Lipscomb Southwell, the production editor of BBC Focus. Her children's book, Dogged in Space: The Amazing True Story of Belka and Strelka, is available now. While you're here, if you have a few minutes to spare, we'd really appreciate it if you could take part in our latest piece of research to inform the continued evolution of the magazine. Please note, this isn't the annual reader survey but it's a totally separate piece of work in which we'd like to test an idea with you. To find out what our plans are, and for your chance to win one of five £50 shopping vouchers, just go to sciencefocus.com forward slash mag survey and take the survey before 11.59pm on Sunday the 8th of July. This podcast is made by the team behind BBC Focus magazine. In our summer issue, which is on sale now, we dive deep into the science of laziness. We also talk to some experts about the threat of space war. And we meet two men trying to create an Ice Age Jurassic Park in the middle of Siberia. And of course, much, much more. Thanks for listening. If you liked what you heard, then why not subscribe and leave us a review? You can find us on iTunes, Acast, Stitcher and many of your favourite podcast apps.